0: A comic book workshop it's a podcast about the craft of making comics i'm jason hammonds and i'm not an expert i'm trying to learn all i can from those who do it best on this episode i chat with cartoonist faith Erin hicks we discuss her process in writing drawing and crafting stories her ways of staying sane and motivated through the pandemic and how she's stayed so prolific throughout her career before we get to that let's catch up a minute Obviously, last episode was the first one in a long time with Henry Barajas, and, uh, it was nice to see the response from everyone. I I am so glad that people are, are happy to see the show back. Um, I'm glad to be doing the show again. Recording these interviews has been fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to, to keep posting them and getting them out there. Um, we've got, uh, let's see, I've got three recorded currently. Um, next week's episode will be with Tate Bromble, the writer of uh, Barbalian Red Planet from uh, Dark Horse, one of the Black Hammer Universe books, um, and some awesome amazing guests uh in the coming weeks and months um so i'm really stoked to to keep going with that and i hope you guys are are just as excited as i am um I also uh, recently started a new job on a movie that was just announced from Netflix called The Magician's Elephant. Not going to say any specifics about that because I don't want um, to risk getting in trouble or saying anything that uh, I shouldn't say about anything. But I am working on that, um, and I'm really excited. Uh, it's it's an amazing project. Uh, you can look up the article on Deadline or whatever to see uh, what they've said about it. But uh, stoked to be working again. I spent six months uh, just sort of. Working on personal stuff, you know, drawing and, and doing little freelance gigs and whatever, trying to kind of uh, keep it together through the pandemic, and so it feels very nice to uh, to be working again. Um, but that being said, I'm also working for those of you who uh, remember I Patch McForce, my mini comic. Uh, I'm working on some short stories right now. I'm uh, planning on doing a a series of of really hyper compressed patch mcforce stories that i'll be writing drawing coloring lettering all that stuff um so keep an eye on instagram and twitter and stuff for that uh should be able to to start getting some posted here in the next few weeks um other than that really not a ton to to catch up on i don't want to take too much time and go full Mark Marin talking about my qualms and, and life and thoughts and stuff, because frankly, I don't think they're that interesting. Uh, but the person whose thoughts I think are very interesting is Faith Aaron Hicks. So I think without further ado, we should get right on into that interview. One quick note before we jump into it, though. As you will undoubtedly notice, my voice sounds insanely deep in this interview. Uh, somehow my side of the audio track got corrupted and sounds like uh, I'm wearing one of those... Um, arrow voice vocoder thing you know in the green arrow show when he's got the deep voice he's talking to the criminals it sounds like that uh for some reason that happened and because of the way we had to record this episode i can't isolate my track and try and fix my dialogue without screwing up faith's dialogue so i figured if One of the two of us was uh, a little harder to hear. It should be me rather than her since, uh, you know, she's got the more uh, 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 insightful and interesting things to hear. Um, Nothing is like unhearable. It'll probably just be a bit jarring that I sound uh, like you know a, a, one of those criminals on the other side of the phone trying to divulge secrets without being identified or whatever um so anyway just a heads up i'll sound a bit weird on this episode but everything's still crisp and clear uh, it's all fully fully hearable um but uh with that little quick note out of the way let's get on into the interview Welcome back to Comic Book Workshop, everybody. I am here with one of the most versatile creators in the comics industry. She is the creator of books including One Year at Ellesmere and the Divided Earth series, as well as the artist of graphic novels such as Pumpkin Heads and Nothing Can Possibly Go Wrong, the writer of comics like the Avatar series, and the writer of the novel Comics Will Break Your Heart. She is Faith Erin Hicks. Welcome to the show, Faith.
1: Yay! Thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, so, in that intro, it's very clear that you have uh, quite a few talents and seemingly a knack for developing uh, uh, new skills or finding new challenges. Is that something that's conscious for you or just something that sort of happened?
1: Um, oh, gosh. Uh, maybe it ha- it just kind of happened. <laughs> I just sort of <laughs> followed various roads. Um and somehow ended up here. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I've always really loved comics uh, mm. because, I mean, comics are a combination of my two favorite things: writing and drawing. And sure. you know, the, the cool thing about comics is that you, you don't have to choose between the disciplines. You can you can do both of them at the same time. Um, and yeah, it's this really wonderful, challenging, unique art form that uh, you know even. Let's see. I just finished my 15th graphic novel. It'll be published in 2022, and yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm still learning. I feel like I'm still learning the best way and different ways to make comics, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know... My, my background is in art. I, I went to to college for animation, and I, I never thought making comics would be my job. It, it seems <laughs> a little impossible. Sure. <laughs> Still, even now, it seems a little impossible, but I don't <laughs> know. I just, I just kept writing and drawing things, and I don't know. I've been really fortunate that uh, publishers have wanted to collaborate with me over the past uh,
0: decade. I mean, it's it's truly incredible. Like you just said, you, th- that your fifteenth graphic novel, yeah, and that's in uh, <laughs> like what nineteen or so years of of doing graphic novels. Or I mean, I guess no, cause you did last. demonology less yeah. than that, man. I mean, I guess I was counting the webcomic days. But
1: oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I. So that was how I got started. I, I was doing sure. web comics way back in the the dark ages of the internet. I I, I literally started when I was in school in 1999, uh-huh. um, and then when I graduated college in 2004, um, th- my very first web comic, which was basically this this Buffy the Vampire Slayer rip off comic called Demonology 101. Um, mm-hmm. It was over 700 pages long, and I, you know I'd basically spent five years of my life <laughs> writing and drawing <laughs> this comic. Um, and then, you know, when I finished it, I was like, well, that's it. That's, that's all the comics I'm going to make. You know, I'm going to go off and be an animator. Um, and that didn't exactly work out for me. <laughs> um, I worked in the animation industry for a few years. But then, sure. uh, yeah, somehow managed to sort of climb my way into comics. And now this is what I do. Um, so my first um, book was actually published in 2007. So okay. it's been 13 yeah.
0: 15 years with 15 <laughs> graphic novels, that is clearly yeah. someone who doesn't know how to uh, not work.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I've just been, it's always exciting, you know, when you get a new sure. job. You know, you have a new idea, and your publisher actually wants to publish it. So, you know, I just feel like I've been really fortunate that the work has always been there, and I've just been able to keep going.
0: Well, and I mean, you know, some some Eisner Awards along the way, among other <laughs> yeah. accolades, it seems to be working out for you. Uh, I, I'm curious, with, with a couple of those those uh, things there that you touched on, first, you know, making a comic that is 700-plus pages over the course of five years mm-hmm. uh there's going to be a lot of lessons in there, you know? I mean, anyone that I know oh, yeah. who's had, you know, similar uh, adventures in webcomic making uh, has has ended a very different artist and writer than when they began. Uh, what do you feel like your biggest sort of, like, lessons were on Demonology 101? Obviously, they were many and varied, but are there any that you think of during that time that, that were really the keys to your growth?
1: Oh, yeah, uh, definitely... Sitting down and actually planning out the story ahead of time, instead of just diving in and you know starting to draw the comic and being like, "Hey, I'll figure it out as I go along," like that was <laughs> that's a very big lesson. And you know, now as a published author, of course, you know if I'm working with a publisher, they want to see everything up front. Like they want to see a story outline and then a script. Sure. Um, so all of that story stuff is done before I sit and draw. And I, I feel like the work is is much much better, of course. Um, but yeah, with Demonology 101, I was, I was just winging it. Like I had no idea (laughs) where the plot would end up. And, and I mean, you know, if you're doing web comics and you're doing it for free, like I was doing, it's like, I just feel like you should do whatever you want. You know, like you're not working with a publisher. No one is paying you. Just, I don't know, tell the story you got (laughs) in your heart, you know, make it fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely, and, and that's so, I mean, I th- it's one of those things where you're like, oh, yeah, doing that thing, you know, from from uh, shooting from the hip or whatever, like, mm-hmm. a lot of people will look back on that and be like, oh, man, I I wish I wouldn't have approached it that way or whatever, but at the same time, I feel like there is, like you're saying, there is a lesson in doing that, so even if it doesn't, you know, the story doesn't end up exactly the way you wanted, or you have, you know, things that you would have done differently, the fact that you were sort of following the muse each time uh, uh, led to things that might not have happened had you have in 1999 sat down and planned out a 700 page, uh, arc. Yeah.
1: Real I definitely story. like, I, I, I get a lot of questions from people who want to know kind of the secret of, of starting comics, like making mm-hmm. your very first comic. Um, and my number one advice is always like do something small at first, you know, do like a five page story, do a 20 page story, um, don't sit down and write out this this crazy epic right at the very beginning because you're gonna get gonna get discouraged, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's if I think if I had actually sat down at the beginning of Demono, Demonology One Hundred and One and tried to plan out the seven hundred page edit or er, epic, I I wouldn't have done it, you know. I mm-hmm. I wouldn't have managed to actually get through all those pages. Um, but because I was sort of meandering along and and i'd never intended it for to, for i never intended for it to get so long um what happened was the comic was actually broke up into episodes so there was five episodes total and they um, varied in length from the very first episode was, I think, like 75 pages. And then the final episode, I think, was like 200 and something pages. So, wow. you know, like the work that I did way back in 1999 was was much shorter and much more, you know, compacted versus the work that I did in 2004 when, you know, when, when my skills were a lot more developed. Um, yeah, you
0: know, something really short, like 75 pages. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Like I thought it was so long at the time. And, and to be honest, like, I just didn't think I'd continue with it. Um, Mm. I was like, oh, I have this little story. I'll just, I'll just sort of do it. And then at the end of it, I'd really, or the end of that first, first episode, the first like 75 pages, um, I kind of fell in love with the characters in the world and I got invested in them. So I decided to do an episode two and then an episode three and just kind of kept going with it. Um, I mean, I'm glad I ended it. You know, I feel like that is important. I think it's uh-huh. important to have the experience of writing and drawing your very first comic and then finishing it Yeah. Um, before moving on to a new project.
0: It's, it's very interesting to say that. And I think that that is like the, the ultimate, uh, uh, sort of speed bump of, like, there's the first speed bump, like you're talking about, where, you know, people will plan out a huge story and then, and yeah. then uh, get really discouraged. And then there's the second one of, like, once you've started, once you've sort of, you know, started climbing that hill, uh, you know, the, the second challenge of actually reaching the sort of, the t- top of it, you know, reaching uh, uh, the culmination is is the thing that, you know, that weeds off, it feels like, 90% of cartoonists uh, or, or would-be cartoonists is, is in those first couple of steps there. Yeah, it's
1: uh, It's hard to finish a work. Um, Mm -hmm. One of... uh, I have kind of mixed feelings about uh, art school, but I actually got some really good advice from uh, one of my college professors uh, at the the animation college that I went to. Mm -hmm. Um, And she basically said, you know, a lot of times people have this one story, this one project, and they spend all their time trying to make this one project perfect. Mm -hmm. Instead, what you should do is finish that project... Take what you've learned and apply it to the next project. And, you know, I've I've always I've I've really taken that to heart. And that's really what I try to do with with all my comics. It's like I'm trying to learn and then I need to finish it and move on to the next thing and take the new skills that I have and apply it to the next thing
0: interesting and there there's there's something in there that i want to um tie back into when when it comes to talking about elsmere but uh uh, there's a couple things i want to talk talk about before i get there because i think you do have a very unique perspective uh in the world of cartoonists on moving on from something and then sort of the (laughs) reevaluation that comes later uh but but i want to know about your your uh, uh time in animation and specifically what it was about that time that that uh, showed you that that wasn't the path for you?
1: Um, well, <laughs> uh, to make a long story very short, uh, sure. I'll maybe go into details afterwards, but to make <laughs> a long story very short, um, 2008 happened and with it the financial crash and uh, basically I lost my job and I just couldn't find another one. Mm. Um, I like I'd worked in animation for four years um, and the last animation studio that I worked at, that was actually where I met my husband and uh, he still works in animation. So we live in Vancouver and he works at an animation studio here. So I still, you know, have a lot of affection for animation and, and have a lot of friends who work in that industry, but I'm just, I'm not a part of it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But i I basically, I lost my job and there really wasn't, there wasn't a lot of work that was available in Canada. It was the industry itself was just really, really struggling. Um, also, there'd been a writer strike, like fairly, yeah. fairly, uh, fair, fairly short time before the financial cry, crash. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like this horrible, like one-two punch. Um, and I got a uh, contract with my publisher, First Second Books, who I've, you know, had a relationship with for yeah. over a decade now. And they basically offered me enough money to live on for like six months and to draw this uh this script that they had called Brain Camp. So that was basically Brain Camp is um it's kind of this teen horror horror graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um it's very similar to like Goosebumps or, you know, uh R. L. Stein, Christopher Pike, like those types of, of young adult horror horror stories. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I basically had like enough money from the advance to, like, live on for six months, and then I was planning to draw this book, and at the end of that six months, I was like, well, I, you know, like, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. I, I guess, you know, hopefully there'll be work in animation, but if not, you know, I guess I'll go do something else, and I, I don't really <laughs> know what that is, Um and yeah, that was 12 years ago now, so I was wow. just able to keep working in comics, but I mean, there's there's really great things about animation, um, you know, being a part of a team, creating something, you know, in collaboration, something that's bigger than you. Like, that's something that's really wonderful. Um, but I like, there's so many things that I like that are not a part of animation. Like, I love writing. Um, oh, sorry. I, I don't mean, like, they're not a part of animation. Of course, there's the writing. job, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but the job, the particular job that I had, it was not a part of that job, you know, and I didn't get the opportunity to write, I didn't get the opportunity to create, I was basically working on someone else's someone else's story, yeah. and sometimes that can be great, and I don't know, it just, it wasn't for me, but um, at the same time, I just feel like, <laughs> I feel like I didn't necessarily have a choice, like, yeah. I, I feel like if I hadn't lost my job, I would have stayed working in animation,
0: but wow. I don't
1: know, so that was... A weird blessing in disguise, I guess. And
0: were, So, were you boarding or character designing? What was your, like, what type of work were you doing?
1: Uh, I was actually doing backgrounds. Um, okay, wow. Designing and painting. Um, yeah, I actually really enjoyed that. That was really fun. Um, but, yeah, just the quality of the shows was not great, to be
0: honest. Sure. <laughs> I, I understand. Uh sure. So, so, and that's kind of interesting because it is so often, you know, the the people who jump from animation to comics. I feel like character design and, and boards are the two places where where they will often come from. Yeah. Um But it's it it makes sense to me actually that that your that your animation job was in backgrounds only because I feel like you are one of the few cartoonists who really makes a meal out of their environments. Oh, thank uh, you. Like it's I mean, especially, you know, I I think that uh, the Divided Earth series is is a prime example of this where there are these amazing, uh, you know, and really like perspective wise are very sound and, uh, you know, just like very detailed environments. Uh, Do you feel like those jobs in animation were sort of the thing that developed that skill in you? Or do you think that you were getting those jobs because that was a natural skill that you had kind of developed in yourself?
1: um i do feel like i learned a lot in animation um but i to be honest i I feel like the skills that i had way back then are very meager compared to the ones that i have now like (laughs) i just feel like my like comics kind of forces you to get good at every kind of drawing Mm -hmm. um and yeah i don't know i look back like i would never show anyone my backgrounds from my animation (laughs) they're just Uh, they're
0: I, I mean, look, it's every every step in the in the journey is one that's yeah, important. That's but true. That's true. Uh, in talking about uh, uh, drawing things, you know, drawing new things and, and constantly improving, uh, I want to kind of fast forward all the way to the present, because you've been, you know, talking about your next book right on, uh, yeah. which is a book where you draw a whole lot of horses. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I did not realize uh, until I saw it, like you put up a tweet or something a, a few days ago that you had decided to redraw a whole lot of the, the horses that you had done early on in the book after finishing the pencils for for the entire book. Walk me through that decision. What, what was it that made you want to redraw those admittedly very good looking horses from my eye? Uh, what, what was it that that really made you decide you wanted to redraw them before uh, going back?
1: Uh, you- well, to be honest, it wasn't very many. Um I only redrew about three pages, so like that's okay. really nothing. like three pages out of a two hundred and eighteen page book that's that's not that's a lot. fair.
0: Um, what, what was it that you yeah, were seeing just, in those three pages?
1: I mean, I felt like, like now, after drawing, you know, over 200 pages of horses, it's like, you just have a better understanding of the anatomy. So, you know, going back and looking at the beginning of the book, it's like, oh, I can do so much better than this. And also, like, I was just really lucky, um... I finished the book early. It's actually not due until January 1st and it's done. Like wow. I handed it in to my publisher yesterday. This is, I would just like to say that this is the first time this has ever happened to me that I finished <laughs> a book early. Um, usually I'm like two weeks to a month late, like that's <laughs> sure. the reality, but just this year was so strange. And yeah. you know, with the pandemic, it's like, I'm, I'm just at home. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, I may as well just Finish this book, and yeah, ended up finishing like three weeks early. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> so interesting. Was there, was there a process for you when you were first tackling this book? Where you did you were you able to take any time aside to just draw horses for a while before drawing the book, or were you kind of figuring it out on the page?
1: I mean, I spent uh, I spent a couple weeks before the start of the book, drawing them, and really studying their anatomy, but I felt like I didn't, and so I, and like, I had, I had a lot of familiarity with horse anatomy just because I'd ridden a lot as a kid. Like, I rode, I, I actually started riding when I was five, and it was like a very intense, very big part of my life for, for over a decade. Like, uh-huh. I think I, I think I stopped riding when I was 18 or 19. Um, wow. just simply because I was leaving for, you know, I was leaving home for, for college. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I just didn't have the money or the access to, to ride anymore, but yeah, like it was a really big, important part of my life. So I, you know, I was very familiar with horse anatomy just from those years spent, you know, engaging with these animals. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, before the book started, I sat down and, you know, I spent a couple weeks doing pre-production art, like drawing the drawing horses trying to figure out a good shorthand for the anatomy but I will I will say like I, I feel like you don't really start getting it like even if you practice and even if you do a lot of pre-production work I, I feel like it's different when you're you're sitting down and drawing drawing them on the comic page like it just is I don't know sure. like I, I do, you know, I try and do a little bit of pre-production artwork before every graphic novel that I draw, but mm-hmm. it just always ends up, you know, like you're on page 150 and you you discover this new way of drawing a certain character. Everything changes yeah. over the course of drawing a graphic novel. And, you sure. know, to be honest, like, I feel like it's part of the charm
0: that
1: mm-hmm. um, it's not like completely perfect from page one to page 200.
0: Yeah. And talk about, so... You know, when you're studying something, at least, like, this is in my own experience of, like, figure drawing and life drawing, I, I find that when I'm first drawing a form, uh, I'm tending a lot more towards realism, toward, like, you know, direct representation and, like, kind of a one-to-one thing. And it takes me a while before I can kind of start to interpret it, you know, stylistically and start to, like, gesture things out a bit more and, and and you know, the the cartooning of it all, really. Uh, so with something like a horse, obviously the anatomy is so specific. Did you find yourself, uh, drawing like these, you know, photorealistic horses at first, just in your studies? And, and was there any conscious effort that you had to take to sort of fit those horses into the style of your cartooning?
1: Um, I mean, I feel like at the beginning, I, Yes, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like at the, beginning, at the beginning, I was trying to be a little more realistic, Um but I also feel like I, I struck a nice balance towards the end where the horses do have personality and they do look, like, a little bit cartoony, but I, I feel like the anatomy is pretty good and, and yeah. it is there, hopefully. Fingers Not crossed it. I don't get, you know, uh, I don't know, some, some horse girl <laughs> looking at my book, you know, a year and a half from now and being like, oh, this is horrible. She drew all these animals completely wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, like, that's the thing, like... Um, you know, I'm, I'm a horse person. I'm, I'm someone who is familiar with these animals. So, you know, if I see them drawn, if I see them in a comic book, I, I can be a little nitpicky and I'm like, oh, this artist, they didn't know how, you know, they don't know how, how this works and that kind of thing. And I shouldn't, sure. I shouldn't be that judgmental. So, you know, like that's always <laughs> the voice ringing in my head as I, as I drew this book. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel like every artist tends to do that. It's like, you know, when you're first trying to familiarize yourself with something, be it, you know, a human body or a plant or an animal, um, then, yeah, you do, you really try and replicate what it looks like to you. And then, you know, I feel like the, the excitement and the fun of drawing um, becomes, it starts when you become like so familiar with, with this thing, with this, this item or this plant or this animal, and you Mm -hmm. can shorthand it and you can just kind of draw it from your mind. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel like that's, that for me is the best part of drawing. Like I love, I'm very familiar with human anatomy and I love drawing people and doing whatever. And yeah, it's Mm. just really fun.
0: That's it's it's very interesting seeing how things like that develop and and in speaking about style too I think that one of the fascinating things about your work overall is is the stylistic evolution you know I mean from demonology even just to you know like uh, um a zombies calling or or the first iteration of Elsmere like the stylistic change there is is very drastic and then moving on into like Brain Camp and and Superhero Girl like it's interesting to see how your style has evolved. Was that ever a conscious thing, or was it always just gravitating toward, like, what your hand was was feeling, or what, you know, like, was kind of striking you?
1: When I first started drawing, um, and I feel like this is something that a lot of inexperienced artists do, you know, I, I was very attracted to other people's art styles, um, sure. and I, I feel like that that just comes with the territory. It's like, other people's artwork is always going to be more appealing to you, because <laughs> you don't see... You don't see, like, the failure in it. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I see all the mistakes when I look at my own work, but mm-hmm. someone else might not necessarily see those mistakes. Yeah. Um, so when I started out, like, I was really imitating other artists that I saw. And to be honest, I, f- I feel like that is always a mistake. Like, I-, I feel like trying trying your hardest to, like, develop a style, um, force yourself to draw a certain way, it kind of takes the... F- fun out of drawing and then I feel like you're for me at least when I tried to force a style that was when my artwork looks the worst like looking at the artwork from the original uh Ellesmere book or Brain Camp I I mean I feel like Brain Camp it's like that was when my style really started to evolve because I stopped Mm -hmm. trying to force a style and I just concentrated on drawing um so yeah it's I mean, I do feel like, you know, style comes from your influences. It comes from art that you find appealing. So, of course, you're going to integrate, like, little bits of other people's style into your work. But I Mm -hmm. feel like your own style really emerges once you sort of let go of um, trying to make your artwork look like, I don't know, whoever you're, Jeff Smith or, or Arakawa and just focus instead on drawing.
0: And it's I'm I'm glad you touched on on Elsmere there because it is I, I think that like even just looking at the covers for the original War for El, War at Elsmere and then Brain Camp you can see immediately that there was a big change between those two books and I yeah. think that Brain Camp you know just by the cover looks pretty recognizably like you know like like that it has the lineage of your work that that it would develop into uh, the work that you do whereas Elsmere looks quite different stylistically yeah uh, and recently you re was it was it that you redrew the entire uh book or just re-inked uh, uh elsmere
1: I re-inked it but as I was uh re-inking the book you know there was certain elements of the artwork that of course I was not satisfied <laughs> with so you know like this is this is the great thing about digital art is like it's so much easier to like tweak things and I have you know I I I pencil my comics on a on a Cintiq um so with Elsmere, I was like well I can just like I can like fix up the the human characters. You know, I can make them look a little a little better, you know, correct their anatomy, um adjust the size of their heads. Like, oh my gosh, sure. the heads are like so humongous back <laughs> in the original version. Um so I basically went in and like digitally kind of fixed up the pencils and then re-inked it. So the book was not redrawn i guess but i don't i i call it like an it was given like an hd upgrade
0: <laughs> it's like uh the the platonic ideal of what george lucas maybe should have done uh, <laughs> with the original trilogy rather than what ended up happening
1: yeah maybe
0: uh that's very what, what i mean first off how long did that like how much time did you take out of your schedule to redraw a book that you had already done you know years and years prior Oh, it wasn't long.
1: It. it it was about three months. It really wasn't Ooh. long at all. Um what? I yeah, and and to be honest, like I didn't have a project that was starting up right at that minute and, you know, for a second wanted to republish Ellesmere and, you know, a beautiful new edition and pay for a colorist and I don't know, I felt like it was worth my time. Um, and yeah. I'm so happy with the new version of Elsmere. Like, I'm so excited for it to find new readers and just looking at it now and how much mm. better it looks along with uh, Shelley Paraline's beautiful colors. It's like, yeah, yeah this is I, I don't know. This is a book I can look at and, you know, give to a kid and not be like, ah, my eyes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's good. it's it's such an interesting thing, it's just so rare I think that, for, for a few reasons in comics, I think one of the big reasons is that it's rare that anyone is is able to sort of have the time to set aside to do something like that, but it's also yeah. rare I think that, you know, a readership has the interest, you know, that, that there is sort of an audience there for something like that um, and so it's such it's such an interesting thing, I don't know
1: I mean, I feel like uh, the thing about Ellesmere is if it had come out and you know had like this whole other publishing life I, I probably would have felt differently about it like i don't feel i don't feel the urge to touch up or redo any of my other older work but elsmere came out in 2008 you know before before Smile, you know, Smile mm. by Rana Telgemeier, which yeah. was, you know, this middle grade, realistic fiction graphic novel that really revolutionized the industry and Absolutely. proved to publishers that um, young girls were very desperate for comics and, you know, desperate to read about lives similar to theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when Ellesmere came out, it was published by SLG Publishing and it had a print run of like 2,000 copies. And so I, I felt like it never really got its chance in the market. Mm. But now it's like I'm I'm more of a known quantity. You know, I've had I've had some wonderful success with with middle grade graphic novels. And yeah. it just felt like this way, you know, putting it out in this new edition. It's like this is actually the way it's meant to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah I was just I was just really appreciative that it it actually got this second chance because yeah it just it felt like it kind of came out it it felt like the first edition came out at the wrong time for sure
0: sure no that totally makes sense that's yeah. it's fascinating to hear that uh, so you you talked about you know learning the lesson of planning out your stories and and sort of doing the work ahead of time to kind of you know figure out uh, uh, where the road's going and what you're doing how how tightly do you plan things out for yourself? I mean, do you write like a full script, uh, uh, for drawing or do you give yourself like a pretty, you know, thorough outline and then sort of, you know, beat out your pages from there?
1: Yeah, I, I do a script.
0: Um, okay. you know, I,
1: I do a couple of, uh, a couple of passes. Actually I do. At first I do, a. Um, a story outline, so that has, like, all of the uh, story beats, the plot beats, the emotional beats, and then based on that, I go and do, like, a thumbnail pass, which is just basically, like, an entire rough draft of the book drawn with stick figures, Um, and I'm figuring out the dialogue and pacing during that draft, and then I go and I do another script draft and that's basically typing up the script for my editor and then she'll give me notes and we'll go back and forth on that so yeah there's a there's a lot of pre-production I I don't really like winging it when it comes to my published work just because like I don't know I mean you know it's it's a really time-consuming job making comics and yeah. I, I don't want to um I don't want to go through a process where I'm not happy with a part of the story and then I draw it and I later on, I decide, Oh, I want to change that. And then I have to Mm -hmm. go back and redraw it. Like I I feel like that would be a waste of time. Um, so yeah, this is a method that has worked really well for me. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't know, like, I I feel like I don't, I don't think I'm a fast art, fast artist. Like I, I, even though I've managed to produce (laughs) so many graphic novels, I I, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like I kind of work at like a mediocre pace, but I also feel like being able to plan all this stuff out ahead of time and make sure I'm not like redrawing or reworking a section of the book like that really adds speed because you don't sure. have to go back and fix things.
0: Does that does that tie into – because at least from observation, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem as though you – kind of you have phases of the book that you stay pretty firmly in you know you're you're in your writing phase and then you'll move into your penciling phase and you'll pencil the entire book and then once you're done with pencils you'll go back and you'll ink the entire book uh i mean a is that an accurate description of your process but then b is is that sort of is your process that way for the same reason that like you know if you decide you want to change something you can change it in the inks rather than having to like redo the page
1: Um, So, it really depends on the project. Um, Sometimes I will basically pencil and ink the graphic novel in chunks. So, Mm. when I was doing pumpkin heads, it was this crazy crunchy deadline um, and I was like frantically drawing it and we, we needed to have chunks of pages given to the colorist so she could meet this crazy deadline. Uh, for Ride On, I had a much more relaxed deadline, which I highly recommend. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, like, I definitely don't want to, yeah, I just feel like the the time in my life when I'm drawing a graphic novel, a 200-page graphic novel in eight months, like, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs>
0: sure.
1: <laughs> so I had a year yeah. to draw Ride On, and, yeah, I ended up finishing early, but just because of the disaster that is 2020.
0: Yeah, um, no, that makes
1: but sense. But with... Pumpkin Heads, I was basically penciling 50 pages, handing those 50 pages off to my editor, um, and then I'd go and, like, pencil, continue to pencil while waiting for notes, and then when I got notes, I would then go back and ink those original 50 pages, so it was, like, this constant uh, assembly line, kind of, um, and that is faster, but to be honest, it's a lot more stressful, and, yeah, I don't know. I just... I do really prefer like sticking sticking in one discipline like I I do like sitting down and doing like maybe not the entire book like penciling the entire book but I like sitting down and doing like a good chunk like I don't know maybe a 100 pages and then getting feedback on those and then going and inking those. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, mostly I, I like taking a little break from penciling like halfway through the book anyway, just because, um, just because I get a little bored.
0: <laughs> sure. No, that makes sense. And I'm Sorry, sure it gives was, you kind of,
1: oh, I mean, that, that,
0: uh, the second question was just, you know, like why, but I think you kind of, you ended up uh, uh, okay. answering that in, in yeah. the long run. Uh, but, and I'm, I'm sure that like, you know, approaching it that way where you kind of get to do. Yeah, like you know, half the pencils of the book or whatever, or a giant chunk of them, and then sort of go back and and you know work on the other aspects of it. I'm sure that does also, in addition to giving you you know chance to not be bored, it probably also gives you the opportunity to kind of like reevaluate a couple things. Yeah. You know, obviously if there's a horse that you want to redraw a little bit or, or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, so that you can keep things you know consistent. Or if there's a thing that you know, I mean, a thing that happens with me and and I feel like you've touched on this too. Yeah, like you you get a few pages into drawing something and you realize, okay, like this character's eyes don't actually look the way that I drew them at first. Like I realized that the way that I like better that for their eyes to be is like this or like the little details like that, that then you can sort of be like, okay, now I don't have to draw 300 pages of this character with the eyes that I don't like. I can, you know, like whatever that is that, that you have the ability to sort of reevaluate before diving back into the next chunk of pencils.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, Yeah, I mean, I feel like at this stage um, I figured out a fairly effective way to work which, you know, I feel like makes up for the fact that I'm I'm not actually a fast artist. I'm maybe just more effective than um, other artists who are probably faster.
0: <laughs> and I mean that that is uh, maybe one of the most important lessons of all is learning, yeah, that like you know, I mean, being fast yeah, isn't as they, important as being efficient.
1: Find a way to hone your speed without completely without sacrificing the quality. You know, like that's yeah. always what I'm I'm struggling to do because, I, I mean, like that's the thing about comics. It's like if you want to make a living at this thing, you got to be able to produce work on a regular level. Um, Yeah. And I've, I've been able to do that for the last decade and yeah, it's been, it's been a really good job.
0: So in, in, in talking about that, the sort of the discipline and the, the, you know, keeping your, your process and, and schedule and all that, what, what does your day typically look like it from what I'm sensing? It seems like you have some semblance of a pretty organized structure to your day, even if it's, you know, not like a specific time, it sounds like you kind of set aside a pretty, uh, uh, set window for yourself or what, what does your day look like typically?
1: Yeah, I think routine is, is really important, especially when you're working from home. Uh, routine is, I don't know, it's the thing that keeps me going. It's the thing that keeps me productive. Um, so yeah, I usually wake up my, well, my cat wakes me up (laughs) at like 7am because she wants to be fed. Of course. Uh, So yeah, I'm usually up and I'm just, I'm not a morning person. It takes me forever to wake up. So I usually don't sit down and actually start working until like nine, to be honest, which is terrible, but I don't know. I just, I like to have a cup of tea and I like to check the internet and yeah. So I usually start work at nine. um, And then I work until about 1130. And then I take a break for exercise and for lunch. So I try and work out I mean, I feel like it's it's you know it's it's keeping your body healthy because like you know drawing comics is a very sedate, but it's also very physical. Like you know, just being in that mm-hmm. chair for hours and hours and like forcing your your arm to work. So yeah. yeah, I do feel like it's it's really important to have an exercise routine. So yeah, I take you- a break. Oh, Do you sorry. feel
0: like with that, you're totally fine. I'm, I'm interested with the exercise, obviously, like you talk about, there's a benefit, you know, physically where mm-hmm. maybe you're less likely to throw out your back or strain your arm or whatever, but is it something that you feel like for you clears you up mentally at all oh, yeah. or is it yeah. interesting?
1: Yeah. Like I, I'm definitely one of those people I, you know, I need the endorphins. I like to. I don't know. Take it. Just take a minute to spend some time with my body, and I, I don't. I don't exercise for a very long time. It's usually like 30, 40 minutes. And mm-hmm. I. I used to go to the gym, but of course, you know, now we're in lockdown, so I started using this website called Fitness Blender that has like little fitness videos, and it's great. It's been it's been so great to use during the pandemic.
0: I'm honestly um, writing that down right now. We, yeah, my girlfriend and I, have I, like gone I on I the random YouTube it. channels.
1: Yeah, I highly recommend it. They have a ton of free videos, and um, and then you can like pay if you want, like, a, a schedule and things like that. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. Um, so, yeah, then I get lunch or shower and get lunch. So, I'm, like, I'm always, like, a little nervous if I'm expecting, like, a package delivery. <laughs> it's because sure. it's like I don't I don't shower until, like, noon. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, that's just the routine that works for me. Sure. So, yeah, I shower and eat lunch, and then I'm usually back to work. Um, I I try and get back to work before one, but you know, sometimes it's like a little later and then, yeah, I work until six and, you know, just, that's usually when I'm the the most productive that five hours in the afternoon. Um, and then I stop and cook supper for me and my husband. And if, if I need to do more work then I will go back and work in the evening. But with this book in particular, I didn't have to do that very much. Like I feel like there was only maybe a couple weeks where I wasn't meeting my quota and I just – I needed to work in the evenings. Um, And then then I take the weekend off. Um, And, yeah, it's a routine that works really well for me. Um, Just – yeah, I I just – I you know, like when I was younger and I first – tried to work in comics or first started working on comics and after I'd lost my job, I would like stay up all hours and just like try and work all the time. And I I feel like having your time off, so having your weekends off, having your evenings free, like that is very important. Of course, Mm -hmm. you know, deadlines can be crunchy. And of course, you know, there are times where I've worked weekends and plenty of times where I've worked evenings. But yeah, I just, the routine is, it's, it's straightforward. It's simple. Sometimes I get really bored of it and it drives me crazy, but it is, (laughs) it is really what helps me get these books done.
0: No, that's really interesting. I mean, it, it it seems like that's a, I mean, not to say that anything's burnout proof, but like, it does seem like a a way of disciplining yourself so that you're not putting yourself in danger of like looking at an insurmountable, you know, hill that you can't climb or like not getting enough sleep to, to sustainably tackle the work every day or Um, it's very interesting, you know, it's, it's, I think that people talk a lot about discipline and they'll apply it to, you know, making sure you're, you're staying at the desk and drawing the pages, you know, like a lot of that sort of like bootstrappy discipline, but I don't think they apply it enough to like being disciplined enough to keep your schedule consistent.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I I feel like that is one of the most important things about comics. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, you know, just sitting down five days a week and making sure that you put at that eight hour day in, like that is the most important part of it. I really feel, mm-hmm. um, when earlier in my career, I did work Sundays and this is actually the first year where I did not work Sundays. And that mm. has actually been a huge relief. Um, I didn't yeah. realize how, how tired I was until I started taking like the entire weekend off. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I actually have time to like <laughs> ah, uh, like relax on the couch on Sunday and like, you know, do, do the dishes and the apartment's so much cleaner.
0: Sure. Yeah, <laughs> so, totally. yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, it's, I definitely did a lot more crunch on books like Nameless City, like that book, um, or that trilogy. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I, it's not that I regret it, but I recognize now it was not good for me. It was not healthy. So, you know, I'm glad to be able to step back from that and, you know, have have a much healthier schedule with Ride On.
0: Sure. That that makes total sense. And I'm, I'm curious because Ride On obviously is a book that, you know, so much of it was was done during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh how, and, and you talked about, you know, having more time and, and, you know, kind of like keeping your schedule more consistently, but, but outside of that, like just mentally or, or, you know, whatever, how did quarantine affect you creatively? Was, were there any changes that you found you had to make to sort of keep things going? Or was it kind of an easy transition? Cause you were already at home? Like what, what was that sort of coping process like at the beginning?
1: I have noticed that I, for, I mean, I, I feel like it's unfortunate because you know I do really love drawing and hopefully hopefully my feelings of affection towards drawing will come back. But I feel like the the lockdown and the pandemic really killed my desire to draw anything that was not work. Um, I was just I had every bit of my every ounce of my creative energy had to go to the book, had to go to write on um, mm-hmm. because I felt like otherwise I just wouldn't make it. you know, I, I just felt like I would lose lose something. I I don't Mm -hmm. know. It was a little bit scary. I've I've never lost motivation in the middle of a graphic novel. But yeah, the pandemic's hard. Like, even though I'm someone who works from home, and on that level, that did not change. Mm -hmm. But you know, on the weekends, working from home, it's like the weekends used to be my my time to go out and, you know, see people. And that that is very important. If you work from home, you know, it is very important to go out and to socialize. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do that anymore. Um so yeah it it really affected me um and yeah i i miss my friends a lot we're ah, right in the sure. middle of we're right in the middle of another lockdown that uh yeah. i'm in Vancouver and yeah we're right in the middle of another lockdown that's been extended until january so uh yeah. it's difficult but yeah yeah
0: well, what's your what's your happy place to go like you know when you feel like you're 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 feeling the weight of things and and it's you know like uh getting a bit demoralizing like is there have you found something that's a consistent source of like uh a a shot in the arm of optimism or something or or just good feelings that you've been able to to go to
1: this is gonna sound kind of hilarious but i got really into playing the witcher 3 amazing And it's like that game is not cheerful, you know. Like that game is not this happy, fun, you know, candy, candy not coated game. Grim.
0: yeah. It's not a not a great world uh, in that. No,
1: time. no. But I don't know. I just got so like I I'd watched the TV show and I really enjoyed it, and then I sure. started reading the books, and I don't know. Everyone just kept telling me, "Oh, the game is amazing. The game is you know the real prize." And I'm a <laughs> Like, I'm terrible at games. I hate fighting. You know, I just, I'm, I'm just bad at it. And so I played it on easy and uh, it was, it was lovely. Like, cause you know, it was lockdown and we couldn't go anywhere. And I was just like, I'm going to spend the entire weekend on the couch, you know, following Geralt and his adventures. And yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was the thing that I needed to get through this year. So
0: sure. yeah.
1: yeah. Love that I mean- witcher.
0: <laughs> everyone has to find it and you know it's it's not always going to be a uh an obvious choice for, yeah, for what to find yeah. happiness in but it's it, whatever works
1: yeah. it, it made no sense and it's it just it's really not the kind of game that i'm normally attracted to but i don't know it just it took over my life like absolutely <laughs> 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 I
0: that's put amazing
1: 200 hours into it like oh my gosh 200 hours hey
0: uh, Look, I, I I think you're 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 at a point where you can uh you know take solace in in the fact that like you can spend two hundred hours on something and not have to feel like you're falling behind or that you know true. like the world's gonna end or whatever. Like you've yeah. you've accomplished enough that you've you've earned the right, I think, mentally to to give yourself two hundred hours to play a game.
1: Well, especially this year. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have picked it up if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, sure. constantly in lockdown. Um, but, yeah, I was just like, well, you know, I got to stay home. So let me try this video game out. And it cost me $20. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe how cheap it was. <laughs> so, yeah, 200 hours of entertainment for 20 bucks.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to I wanna talk about just a, a few more craft things and then kind of uh, wrap it up with, with a little bit more of the, the dose of, of optimism or fun. But uh, I, I, I want to know about any hard and fast rules that you have that, that directly apply to your drawing, right? Like in terms of, let's say, composition or readability or whatever, like are there principles or rules or things that you've just kind of developed that you keep in mind anytime you're laying out or penciling a page?
1: Um, I definitely try to keep the action flowing to the right uh, or sure. flowing, sorry, flowing left to right because, yeah. you know, of course that is the way we read as English speakers. Um, yeah, it's it's a very simple, subtle thing. Um, and I've heard comments from other cartoonists that this is something they, they could just completely ignore, but it really works for me. Um, yeah. It kind of keeps, I feel like it keeps the flow of the book going. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just, Yeah. It's something, I feel like it's one of those invisible things where you don't realize it's actually something like a, a feeling kind of guiding you through the book, but yeah, it works really well for me.
0: That's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up and the sort of the fact of, of not realizing it because it was always, anytime I would like draw a page, which like, you know, the only things I've really drawn comics wise are just mini comics, but I've done a lot more coloring than I have drawing. And one of the coloring gigs that I've, I've done I noticed you know after like always having that rule of just like oh yeah left to right left to right Mm. uh I had I colored a book that was very much breaking that momentum pretty constantly you know like uh, there were a lot of pages where things were going you know right to left you know and like uh you know bottom to top and like you know a lot of things that were just strange it was very odd where like, and not like paneling bottom to top, but just like the, the, the momentum was sort of pushing your eye back in the opposite direction of what you thought. And I had never seen directly how much that will affect your reading experience of a book yeah. until like working on those pages and being like, oh, I just want to like, I want to flip this panel. Like, I just want to, I want to reverse it. I want to mirror it so that that way the eye will like, yeah. you know, th- those little things that you just don't notice how much they will affect you until it's not done right, which then makes, you know, it's like, I I feel like so much of comics is in that subtlety, like you're talking about, the the, the page turns. Yeah.
1: I mean, I definitely feel like, you know, the rules are, are there to be broken. You know, sure. if, if you're someone who is uh, able to, you know, take this left to right rule and, you know, really turn it on its head, then, you know, I, I think that that would be an amazing accomplishment. Uh, mm. I just personally haven't found a way <laughs> to actually like, make it work for me. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's one That's when I follow. Um, I'm trying to think other of other things, I guess you know, the importance of creating depth on a panel, you know, trying to have foreground elements and background elements, um, trying your best to vary your composition. So if you have like, I don't know, a group of people standing around, you know, try to give them different heights, try and, um, you know, bring one towards the camera, push one into the background, um, just little things like that to make your composition more interesting. So that's, Mm. you know, that's always what I'm fighting for in my books.
0: Sure. And I, 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 tend to notice, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but by my eye, it does seem like you do a lot of, um, in terms of creating, you know, planes and depth, like, it feels like you're pretty conscious of line weight when you're doing that.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah, so, of course, you know, a character who is closer to the camera or closer to the reader... Um, the lines, you know, I'll, I'll ink them a little heavier than a character who is farther away. I also, uh, I, I really enjoy inking with a brush and sometimes Mm. if you have like characters very far away in the distance, it, it's kind of impossible to ink them with a brush and (laughs) the brush is just this, I don't know, wild creature that, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to control. So I'll ink with, uh, like a, a fine line marker and then that gives it a much finer line than the brush.
0: Yeah, I that is one thing that I still, like, I am such a bad inker, and I'll, I I try all sorts of different pens and brushes and stuff, and that's the thing I really can't get down, is, like, using a brush or a brush pen and getting a nice, consistent, fine line. I'll go, you know, one limb, and then immediately I'm, like, splotching ink all over the figure, and I have to start over again.
1: Finding the right tools is really important. Um, I, I was not any kind of great inker either, mm-hmm. uh, but finding a a brush that worked for me was incredibly important. Um, you know, I, I see some artists and it's like they can ink beautifully with even, I don't know, some some busted little marker. Um, mm. But I don't know. I just find that You know, there's this idea that tools do not make the artist. And, you know, of course, that's, that's not true. That's, that's true. It's like, you know, there is no such thing as a magic pencil that will make you an amazing artist. But I think finding the correct tools that work really well for you can Mm -hmm. improve your art by leaps and bounds. And it was definitely the case for me.
0: Do you do you grid your uh your panels out? Like do you do you do a full perspective grid and like, you know, stay cognizant of like the, the height of your horizon line and, and things like that or do you tend to no. kind of uh play it loose?
1: <laughs> no. no, I just wing it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if I if there's an establishing shot or um, you know, any any shots where uh characters are standing and you can like see their feet on the ground, then yes, mm. of course. Like I, I will I will drop in a In a perspective grid and make sure everything looks kosher. But uh, I, I don't know, I I find it's like, sometimes it's just it's really unnecessary, you know, just as long as something feels right and feels correct. And you know, doesn't look completely wonky on the page, then you know, it's usually, it usually works perfectly fine.
0: And you, you've talked about penciling on your Cintiq. Are you, do you use Photoshop or uh, Clip Studio? Do you have, like, a, a program that you kind of stick to for, for all your penciling, or have you kind of ventured around?
1: Yeah, I, so I guess technically it's, it's now Clip Studio, but when I bought the program it was called Manga Studio, so maybe they've ch- I think they've changed the name, but I, I think the, I think Clip Studio is slightly different. I'm not sure. But anyway, I have a copy of Manga Studio that is, like, five or six years old and it cost me I think I think 50 bucks when I bought it five years ago and it is yeah it's amazing um I bought some brushes for it from um a website called Frendin and brushes they're great yeah those brushes are incredible yeah they're really great um so I do my penciling on the Cintiq with the Frendin brushes in Mm -hmm. manga studio and then I print out the pages on Bristol paper uh, and it's it's printed out like blue line because you know the idea with the blue line is that you don't have to worry about erasing because it's light enough that your scanner will not will not pick it up. And yeah. then yeah, I ink on top of those those printouts, and then I have a finished page.
0: Do you have a specific paper that you like when you're printing those out?
1: Yeah, I like the Strathmore Bristol, and I like the mm. smooth surface. Um, so yeah, oh, and it's kind of a. It's definitely you know the the Bristol paper is definitely the most expensive part of the
0: process. Of yeah, no, it makes sense. Especially, I mean, anytime. And it sounds like you you try to make your process one that that uh, allows for the least amount of you know paper trashing. Uh, but I'm sure there are those times where you'll get halfway through a page and then just have to start over or something.
1: Occasionally, um, I don't know that it doesn't happen that often, to be honest. That's pretty. I try fun. my best to avoid it. But yeah, I, I remember a couple pages with mm. right on and like a couple of pages at the beginning of the nameless city trilogy. But yeah, That's for the fair. most part, I mean, Oh, I mean the nice thing is, um, when you're working with dig- digital, inks and traditional or sorry, digital pencils, traditional inks. Mm. Um, if you're not happy with the traditional inks on the printout, you just print it out again and start again. Sure.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, now uh, writing prose is something that is so uncommon for a cartoonist you know obviously like there there have been you know like pure comic book writers who don't draw that that have dabbled in prose and you know all sorts of different but like it, it feels so rare to see someone who is so multi-talented delve into the world of prose uh what was it that that inspired you to to work on and or to write uh, uh comics will break your heart
1: oh thank you um so when I originally started developing the idea, I, I was thinking about it possibly being a graphic novel. Um, mm. And, but I, I'd started like doing some research and I mean, not really research. I was just sort of like picking up nonfiction books here and there um, yeah. and reading about the history of comics, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of a fascinating and terrible history. Just, you know, it's, oh, it's kind of crazy how comic books have, have become basically a feeder industry for the this billion dollar movie industry, like the Marvel mm-hmm. movie industry is, or the Mar- Marvel cinematic universe is the most profitable cinematic universe in in history. And, um, you know, the, the people who created those characters generally haven't benefited financially the way that I personally think they should. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's, it's kind of a sad history and, um, it really kind of tugged at my heart Um, So I decided to write a a, write a prose novel kind of based on the history of that and then um, the history of of comics and have it affect the relationship between these two teenagers who end up meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, And once the story became a little more about comics and about the history of comics, I felt like I felt like it. It would have been weird if I told this story in the comic book format um, because it, it felt too close. Like, mm-hmm. it just it just felt like the relationship between the story and uh, the format that I was telling the story in was like, yeah, just just too close. So I decided to write it in prose and hopefully give it a little bit of distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed the process of writing a novel. But to be honest, I like comics more, you know?
0: <laughs> sure. <laughs>
1: Like I, I don't want to say I'll never write a novel ever again, but um, yeah, I don't know. Nothing, nothing has come up in the two or three years. Or let's see, when was it published? Oh, it was actually published last year. So yeah, wow, wow. nothing is nothing new. No new uh, novel <laughs> ideas have popped into my head. Sadly, just just I, comic I, ideas.
0: In reading that book, it, there's a lot of Jack Kirby. In that yeah,
1: book. yeah, uh, he was he was definitely. Uh, a huge inspiration and sure. um i mean i don't want to speak for him or his heirs and you know for all i know they're perfectly happy with the payout that they got from disney and you know they're, they've they moved on with their life and but i don't know there's a part of me that the artist part of me that's like no there should be a statue of him you know like he created he well co-created um, implicitly brought to life like so much of this Marvel universe and you know there should be like this giant solid gold statue of him in front of you know, <laughs> Marvel headquarters yup yep. <laughs> so yeah I don't know there's there's a part of me that is a little self righteous and I'm just like no the artist needs to get paid they need mm. you know they need those accolades they should be more famous than God you know that kind of thing so
0: yeah I very much appreciated that in the book honestly oh good <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the, so in, in, you know, beginning to wrap up just a few more questions, but I do want to touch on your writing for, for other artists as well. Uh, obviously you've written quite a lot in the, the avatar, uh, the last airbender and, and legend of Korra sort of, you know, uh, universe. Uh, what was your, I mean, what was your relationship to the cartoon, you know, before that opportunity came up and, and talk about how you sort of got your, your, uh, head into sort of the, the, you know mindset of writing those characters
1: yeah i was just i was a huge fan um it's my favorite animated show um nameless city the nameless city trilogy was very much inspired by it um sure. and i i'd actually corresponded a little bit with brian konitzko i'd met him and michael Martino, the creators of the show at comic-con one year and you know they were very nice and very welcoming um, and yeah, like they were familiar with my work as well. So when Gene Yang, who is the former writer, I took over from him on Avatar, when he decided to move on, he, he had done um, five different stories set within the Avatar universe uh, along in collaboration with the art team Guri Huru. Um, so he had decided to move on and they were looking for a replacement. So they approached me and yeah, I got the job. So yeah, I went from being just a giant fan to actually working on, you know, (laughs) official comics from my favorite animated show. It was amazing and terrifying.
0: (laughs) Was there, what was your, you know, it's like, I mean, you find out that you get the job or, or, I mean, was there, I assume there was a pitch process involved uh, beforehand for kind of like what your ideas were to sort of do something with the universe, but I mean, how how did you wrap your head around writing these very well established characters? What was your way in of like understanding the the sort of the voice and the the clarity there, or was it something that you already kind of had from from watching the show so much or knowing the show so well?
1: Yeah, it was a challenge, um, especially at the beginning. Um, I was I was pretty scared to be honest. I I was really s- nervous about messing up this world, and also like Jean had done a really amazing job, and mm-hmm. um, it was you know huge shoes for me to fill and, you know, like at the beginning, it's like, I'm, I'm pitching Brian and Mike these ideas and pitching them story outlines. And it didn't, it did not go well. Like the first few times I pitched to them. Cause like, you know, I, I just felt like I was, I was so scared and so afraid of like messing up their world that I was really pitching them kind of these timid, um, terrible ideas. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, but the minute I kind of, the minute I kind of got over that fear and was like, okay, you know, I'm a professional writer. I've been hired to do this job. You know, I need to stop like putting this show and these guys on a pedestal and just, you know, sit down and, and really do my best and bring like my own specificity to this world and this mm-hmm. property. Um, it started going a lot, a lot better. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was definitely a process. Um, and I'm very proud of Imbalance. Imbalance is the trilogy that I did with Peter Wartman. Um, and it deals a lot with. Bender uh, supremacy and, you know, this the consequences of a world where um, non-benders are on the rise. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, I, I feel like the, the first season of Legend of Korra really inspired uh, Imbalance as well, because, like, that was basically about the rise of non-benders and them really fighting back against mm-hmm. years of oppression by benders. Um, and then, you know, I felt like it would be appropriate you know, an, an extra piece in the puzzle if we had basically a story focusing on Bender on supremacists and Benders trying to, like, wipe out non-Benders. Um, so, yeah, you see the consequences of that later on in Korra.
0: It is it is very excellent. I haven't read the entire Thanks. run yet, but everything that I've read has been so good so far. I, I love this world and characters. It was a big influence on me, and it's it's such a it's a really interesting lens to, to look at all this stuff through, and it's um, it fits so well in with the tone. Uh, yeah, anyone who likes those cartoons should read that book. Read yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Um, talk about writing. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you have such a, like, really knowledgeable and, and developed brain for comics, but talk about writing for another artist. I mean, it, did you find yourself in, in doing that? Did you find yourself... Uh, uh, maybe getting a little overbearing or maybe like taking you know too much space back like what was your kind of um hurdle with with writing for another artist to interpret and draw
1: i actually had the opposite reaction um you know i'm an artist and i i felt i i mean i haven't worked with I really haven't worked with very many writers who are overbearing. For the most mm-hmm. part, the writers that I've worked with have been people who have been, you know, willing to collaborate and willing to listen to me when when I have opinions. Um, but, yeah, my, my response was, you know, I wanted to be – I wanted to give Peter, Peter Wortman, who's my collaborator mm-hmm. on Avatar, mm-hmm. I wanted to give him as much space to interpret the scripts, to interpret the visuals as he could – um, cause I mean, I think he's a great artist and I feel like, um, I feel like, I mean, not every artist is like this, but he was definitely someone who I felt like could, could really rise to the occasion. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I wanted to basically give him as much room as possible to to work his magic. So, I don't know. And, you know, I'm the sort of person where it's like I, I like being easy to work with. You know, I, I really want to be a good collaborator and I want to be easygoing. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it was pretty like once we got the script and Peter started drawing, it was it was really smooth sailing. Like uh, he's, he's a great collaborator. Yeah.
0: Do you do you apply any sort of like formalistic uh rules to your your scripts in terms of like how long your panel descriptions are or how long your script pages like are there any things that you sort of are keeping in mind uh as you're writing?
1: Um the only thing so uh the scripts for Dark Horse for their avatar um comics they do have a strict page limit so every mm. script is Oh man, I can never remember if it's seventy-two or seventy-one pages. I always have to go and check. But yeah, so it's like I have to hit, I have to hit that, um, and then you know, like generally because the books are published in a smaller format, like I try not to do more than five panels a page just to give Peter's artwork more room to breathe. Sure. Um, but it's usually only stuff like that that I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, and those are, you know, I mean, with the exception of the page count, which is, you know, which is a, a rule. Everything mm. else. It's just like when window wood feels or right. like
0: an Yeah, yeah. like you, you usually five paid five panels, but there might be pages here and there that have a sixth or a seventh.
1: Yeah. I mean I I don't maybe there's like a seven page or seven panel page somewhere
0: in there.
1: <laughs> sure. I feel like if, if something had seven panels, I would try and break it up. Like
0: that makes sense. Uh, move
1: some panels around. But yeah, I like um I really like four and five four to five panels per page on, you know, for the avatar format, just because it is published at digest size.
0: Sure. Are there, what, what's your, like, when you're writing for yourself, what's your ideal, uh, like, do you, do you keep a a similar thing in mind of like, I want to try and keep a page at this number of panels or even word balloons or anything like that?
1: Um, it most, yeah, I just, it mostly is just what feels right in the moment and what I feel like, will be the best way for peter to bring the action or the emotion to life
0: um yeah i meant meant for your when you're writing like as opposed to when you're writing for peter when you're writing for your own graphic novels are there do you have similar types of rules that might not be the same things but like the things that you sort of keep in mind limitation wise
1: oh i'm trying to think i don't think so like i i feel like my if i'm writing for myself versus someone else um it's not really that different. Like I if anything, I put like less detail into the writing if I'm writing for myself. But it's sure. not by much. You know, like I, I, I like dropping in, you know, like the character beats and the character emotions and descriptions <laughs> and things like that. But
0: that makes sense. yeah,
1: it's like my process is, is pretty similar. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean awesome. I felt like when I first started writing other artists I was like oh okay well this will be so much faster like I'll be able to write a script so much faster because you know Mm -hmm. I won't have to think about the art part of the process but I can't for whatever reason I can't disengage that part of my brain (laughs) (laughs) I still I still have to think about the art like I I guess maybe I'm a visual person so you know like when I'm writing the script for Peter to draw it's like I have pictures in my head for how it's going to going to look and what Peter draws. It's usually something completely different, but it works really, really well. Um, and sense. I'm never going to tell him to change it because, you know, it's his, it's his job to interpret these words and to bring, like, his own specificity to the script.
0: That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, last question here before just uh, a couple of fun ones, but did, did you find it in speaking about sort of these different ways of writing, did you find it difficult to write when you're working on Comics Will Break Your Heart, did you find it difficult to write for the reader as opposed to like for your own eyes or for a publisher or an artist?
1: Um, For comics will break your heart. um, I actually was writing it and not really thinking about publication. Like I I was just kind of writing it for myself um, Mm. because I had a story that I wanted to tell and, you know, I hoped that it would be good enough to publish and yeah, Mm. it's great that it was Um, super thrilled to have you know an (laughs) actual published novel out there along Uh a, a word book alongside all my my other books with pictures in them um but yeah no i i don't know like i i just sort of sat down and did it that's so so
0: interesting
1: it sounds so unscientific like i don't know i feel like when i create it's just sort of the feeling of it it's kind of like feeling my way around the page or feeling my way around the words you know Mm. trying to find the words that feel right um there's just there's nothing really that scientific about my process. Um, I feel like, uh, and I feel like, to be honest, like it it would drive me crazy when I was younger, you know, like when I was younger, I was so desperate for rules to follow. You know, I desperately yeah. wanted to know what was the secret to being a good artist? What was the secret to making great comics? And, you know, I, I just found that trying to follow rules to the letter, rules that someone else might've given me that I hadn't really tested on my own didn't necessarily work. Um, what works for me is to just kind of dive in and muck around and eventually I sort of find my <laughs> way, <laughs> find my way through the, through the forest. That um, makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, a, I mean, it's a great way to approach it. I just, it's for me. I, I don't like... know.
1: To be honest, it feels a little, it's a little inefficient. I'll, I'll be honest. It, <laughs> it is a little inefficient, but I feel like now that I have things figured out and I've kind of figured out who I am as an artist and like what works best for me, like now it's gravy. Now it's like, yeah, you know, I can do this. I I have confidence (laughs) in me, but I I will say it was many, many years of like wandering in the desert, like wishing I was different, you know, like wishing, Mm. (laughs) wishing my brain works differently, but I don't know. This is just how it works.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, it's just so interesting hearing that, because, like I, you know, coming from the the vast majority of writing I've done outside of school is for, you know, either comic scripts or or screenwriting. And so, like mm-hmm. me like thinking about writing in a way where I couldn't be, like, you know, for instance, in a comic script being like, oh, and there's a lamp on this table over there, like, that'll be important later. You know, like, that kind of thing where, like, if you're writing in prose, you can't just say, you know, interior, it's a room at night and, like, oh, you yeah. know, someone's walking mm-hmm. this way. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be so much more, um you have to put up s- such a more prominent fourth wall. <laughs> and yeah, like,
1: yeah, for sure. Uh, and I and I do find prose really hard. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. um That's probably, possibly another reason Uh, I might not, I might not write a novel like anytime soon or maybe ever again is, is is, prose is just hard. Like, I do really like that aspect of, of visual arts of making comics. It's like, oh, it's just so much easier to just draw it. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know.
0: I totally get it. I don't know. It's
1: Um, like, like, I hate it. I hate being like, oh, this this one art form is more difficult than the other, that kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm always seeing fights online between writers and <laughs> artists. And, like, it's all hard. It's all challenging. Yeah. It's all time consuming. Um, none of us are achieving the work that we wish we could achieve. <laughs> Never. But yeah, so it's like, there, there's no such thing as like one art discipline that's harder than the other. They're all hard. But yeah. for well, me, it's all subjective too yeah exactly it's yeah it's it's subjective, and for me personally, I find it easier to communicate through drawing than I do prose, but I love prose like I love reading i'm just not I just don't think i'm I'm someone who is a natural prose writer
0: sure uh well faith uh you've you've been very generous with your time today, so we'll we'll wrap up here um the one question I want to ask is is let's say tomorrow there is you know instantly everyone on earth has been vaccinated against covid and the lockdown ends and everything <laughs> is fully back to normal i know uh in, in this fantasy world what is the one thing that you are instantly the most excited to do again
1: oh my gosh i want to go out to a restaurant and eat a meal with my friends i miss yeah. that so much like yeah. especially here in vancouver we have so many great cheap restaurants and just i don't know going out to eat eating an amazing bowl of ramen with friends it's oh. like i miss that so much
0: yeah that makes sense um before we ask the last question that we ask uh, every person who comes on the show uh where can people find you online what should they be looking out for uh, g- give them all the plugs and the resources
1: oh great uh, so I'm really only active on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm at Faith Aaron Hicks on both of those. And yeah, I'm I'm playing Dragon Age Inquisition right now, so I'm tweeting a lot about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, my my Twitter is is very video game focused right now. But that I post sense. art, and, you know, any any little snippet of anything that I got. <laughs> um, oh, and you can also as also have a website, faithaaronhicks.com, that has information about all my books. Um, Let's see. So this year, I had One Year at Ellesmere come out. So uh, that's a story about two girls at boarding school. And it's about friendship and enemies and uh, possibly mysterious goings on in the forest next to this boarding school. Um, And next year, I will have a reissue of an older work, uh, Nothing Can Possibly Go Wrong, which is a a young adult yeah, a young adult graphic novel I drew based on a uh, story by Prudent Shen. Uh-huh. That will there'll be a new edition of that published, and it will be in full color. So I'm very excited about
0: that. I would um, love to ask you about the art process for that book at some point. Uh, you know, yeah, down there that that's a that's a process I'm really. That's another that's about.
1: another conversation.
0: For um, sure. And
1: then at the beginning of 2022, hopefully after we've all been vaccinated, and hopefully. Yeah. As the world returns to a semblance of uh, normality, uh, my next brand new original graphic novel, Ride On, will be published. And it's about uh, three girls and one boy who ride at a schooling stables, and they take care of the horses there. And it's also about Star Trek. So I
0: really really
1: hope people enjoy it when it comes out.
0: I cannot wait, Faith. Um, And then for the listeners, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Jason Halftones. You can find the show at TMBC Workshop. Uh, But, Faith, the last question that we ask everyone who comes on the show is why do you love comics? Oh,
1: why do I love comics? Oh, my gosh. Comics are the best way to tell a story. They are beautiful and funny and heartbreaking and they are as i mentioned earlier the combination of two of my favorite things in the world art and writing
0: love it well faith thank you so much for joining the show today
1: yeah no problem thanks so much for having me
0: Thanks once again to Faith for joining the show. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Faith Aaron Hicks and make sure you keep your eye out for Ride On, her next book from first second. It looks fantastic and I will say those horses look absolutely incredible. Uh, go check out her social media feeds if you want to see any more peeks at uh, what she's been working on. Um, also, thanks to Sean Rosner for the music. Go follow Sean at Sean the Rosner on Instagram. Uh, he does some amazing stuff and I absolutely love uh, the music that he uh, has allowed us to, to use for the show. Um, And and again, thanks all of you for listening. I've got some incredible guests lined up. Uh, Next episode will be with Tate Bromble, the writer of Barbalian Red Planet, the Black Hammer book from Dark Horse Comics. Um, So make sure you follow TMBC Workshop on Instagram and Twitter to see what's coming. Uh, You can also follow me at Jason Halftones on Twitter and Instagram. That'll just be, you know, art uh, on Instagram mostly, my drawings and stuff like that, but also just random you know, thoughts and musings and stuff about comics, uh, on Twitter. Um, I would love to see what everyone out there is working on. Honestly, like one of my favorite things in doing this show is to see all of the incredible cartoonists and, and artists and writers who, who listen to the show, Shouts out to all of you. I I truly like the the listeners of the show are insanely talented. Um and I always love seeing uh who out there is is listening and working on stuff. So please reach out, follow, you know, send me a message, whatever. Um I, I love seeing all the work and it keeps me very inspired. Um and if you like the show, please please drop a rating or review on whichever podcast app you use um especially since the we've we've had this long break it's been a minute since we've uh, had a, a review or rating um and so i think if if we can get a few more of those coming in then that'll kind of bring the show back up in the the hearts and minds of the podcast listeners out there searching for their their fix of of craft information um so please throw those ratings and reviews out um, I'd love to read some more on the show here. Uh, anyone who who rates or reviews, I will give you a shout out on the show. Um, so plug your work in your review by all means. This, you know, be be selfish. Uh, we will we will help with all we can. Um, but once more, thank you for listening to the show uh, and uh, keep on working. i be cool.com You never know